Oh man, you can see we need help. And we've got some good helpers and you could join up with them and help out. We, we want you to be involved and be a fully devoted follower of Christ, fully engaged. So, uh, you know, we also have a table out today that's uh, it's coming up on the last day that you can register to vote. So we hope that uh, you are taking that responsibility seriously. It's not going to be fun or pretty or easier or enjoyable this year, but uh, we will want to, to, to be part of that process. And uh, we also have the water out there uh, that uh, you could take a bottle and uh, uh, use it as an opportunity to share with a friend and uh, to, uh, to say, hey, why don't you come and uh, uh, see what's happening at our church and uh, let's join in together and uh, have you, do you know anything about Jesus and get them started in a relationship with the Lord. We're going to be in Colossians chapter 2 today, Colossians chapter 2, so I'd invite you to be turning there in your Bible. And uh, this week I stopped by the little garden plot that uh, I've been invited to pick organic kale and cucumbers and the tomatoes, and uh, I, I picked a whole bunch of these long, leafy, deep green leaves of organic kale this week, and I noticed that some of them had been perforated in numerous places. Uh, you know, it was obvious that little garden bugs or the bunnies in the night were coming to visit the, um, the, this garden and taking advantage of plants that were uh, unprotected with pesticides. And uh, I got the kale home and put it in a pan of water in the kitchen sink, and I went to get ready for the day. And when I came back, I returned to the kitchen for breakfast, and Cindy, my wife, was surveying the situation with the kale in the sink with less than full enthusiasm for this pure food that I had brought in. And she says, look, look at all these little tracks. And she says, step back and look at the angle here. And she says, those are from snails that were on the kale, and now they've trailed around the kitchen and across the pots and pans that I just cleaned. And I said, no, 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 that can't really be. She said, no, look, you really here is one. And she showed me there's a snail about eight feet away from the sink. It was making its way toward the apples. <laughs> you know? and, and so here I am trying to eat healthy, you know, some of the time. And, and I'd inadvertently mixed in with some extra protein and uh, some filthy contamination at the same time. Now, we run that risk in our Christian walk of faith as well. We believe that Jesus is God and that his voluntary death on the cross provided a way for us to get back right with God. And all we have to do is to give him our hearts and to love him and follow him. And we've done that, many of us, most of us here. And if you haven't, we'd invite you to do so and to become a fully devoted follower of Jesus. And then, somehow, I mean, we start to have extras added on by other people or by the church, or by the contaminants from the world. How do Christians avoid spiritual contamination? Back in Bible days, people had the same problem. I mean, way back, the Bible says people just did what was right in their own eyes. Well, and that didn't work. I mean, we have people trying that today. And, and, and you know, they think, well, what's good for me is good for me, and what's good for you is good for you, and it's just up to you to, to think what's right for you or what I think what's right for me. It, it doesn't work. It's chaos. Fortunately, God intervened, and God gave Moses the Ten Commandments to give people a standard of how to live in a way that would please God. And then he added about 713 extra commandments that would flesh out the whole picture. They called it the law. And we have it at the beginning of the Bible in Exodus and Leviticus and Numbers and Deuteronomy is where a lot of that is captured in the Bible. You could read it 
uh, for yourself. And then the Jewish rabbis and scholars came along and they began to say, well, how do you do that? And, and they began to write down their thoughts on it and they added layer upon layer called Midrash and all their thoughts about each law and all the requirements and they, they added so many layers, it became a tremendous burden. I mean, people got good at knowing the law, but nobody was ever able to keep the law and to live by it completely. The law proved... Uh, that it was the standard. Nobody's able to live by the law and please God. But they tried. And so they memorized it. They knew it. They interpreted it. They, they applied the law, especially in other people's lives. And you know, there's a certain security in legalism. You know right from wrong. You know the standard. You can apply the standard in your life and to anybody else. And you know where you stand with yourself and with other people and with God. And it's up to you. See, legalism is really trusting yourself, not trusting God. And God gave the law to show them God's standard, and it also showed we can't make it on God's standard. God has a, a, a pass-fail system. Perfection is pass. Everything else is fail. None of us is able to maintain or to reach perfection except Jesus. So that's why God sent Jesus into the world, to set the law aside and to offer forgiveness and a relationship with God that begins by inviting God to live in your human heart, to say, God, come and live in me. And people loved it. They were set free from their sin. God's Spirit came to live inside of them. They had peace and joy uh, abounding in their life. And yet, there's still this old way of thinking that nags at us. There must be more. There must be more. There must be a way to prove I'm closer to God or I'm more spiritual or I'm better than the next guy if I just keep more of the rules. So in a town called Colossae, there was this group of people who had become believers in Jesus. And uh, uh, the Apostle Paul, who wrote them a love letter, the one that we're going to look at, wasn't from there. In fact, he probably never met some of these people, but he had heard... Uh, of this church that some of them had come from Judaism with all of the, the laws and customs and many of them were Gentiles that grew up either with a, a Gentile faith or no religious background and Jesus had become their savior and their Lord and the head of the church and they were filled with the joy of the Lord. Now we have the same mix in our church today of people who grew up <clears throat> in church and people who grew up with no faith. I mean I grew up in a home that was literally right next door to the church and my dad was the pastor, and my mom was the organist. And we were there for Sunday school every Sunday. And we were there for worship every Sunday. And we were there Sunday night uh, for kids' activities and for church. And we were there every Wednesday night. And uh, we were there on off days because we lived next to it. We would play hide-and-seek or kick the can right in the church parking lot. And, um, I, you know, I, I think... Uh, I, you know, you think everybody had the same blessings and privileges as a kid. I mean, I asked Jesus to come into my heart and be my Savior when I was four and a half. And, and it was applauded by my parents. Doesn't everybody grow up in a home that, where Jesus is loved? Well, no, they don't. And I think the story of my walk with Christ would be vanilla. And it's still the truth, though, that I still needed Jesus to be my Savior and to forgive me of my sin and shortcomings and to... Uh, to live in my heart and life. So by contrast here, last week we went to this church leaders conference called the Sticky Church. 
And uh, it's uh, how to help people to find their way into the Lord and into church and, and stick and not just flow right on through. And so one of the speakers was this uh, man named Mark Clark. And I liked him right away because, you know, Thai guy Mark Clark, it's kind of an exclusive club of people whose names rhyme. And, uh, you know, we're the same. We have na- rhyming names. And that's about where it stopped. He got up and he started and he, t- he took as the text that he was going to use, Isaiah 61, that begins, the Spirit of the Lord is on me. And he talked how we as believers need the Spirit of the Lord in us and guiding us and directing us instead of doing our own thing and saying, God bless it, saying, God, where is your Spirit leading and how do I, how do I follow your Spirit that is on me? And um, he, he told how he grew up in a home that was enthusiastically, passionately atheist. He had a grandfather who was a believer, and maybe there was some pain there for one of his parents. But anyway, his, his parents were so atheist that when his older brother had been born, they wanted to name him Matthew, but they spelled it with one T so it wouldn't be like it's spelled in the Bible. Then I guess they hadn't read a lot of the Bible, so their second son is named Mark. Guess what their third kid was named? Well, it was a good guess, but no, you know, they didn't have a third child, I guess. So you had just Matthew and Mark, and Mark began smoking cigarettes when he was 12 years old, and then he moved on uh, to other drugs, and his parents divorced when he was in junior high, and uh, the stress of that caused him to develop Tourette's, to which to this day has the side effects, which cause him to twitch uncontrollably, and he did even while he was speaking to us. He also, one of the side effects was suddenly he would yell out, profanity. So he'd be sitting in school and suddenly just, you know, F, F, F would pop out of his mouth. And, and you know, even during a test, it's real quiet in the room. And then all of a sudden he's just exploding with, with, with this and finds his way to the principal and has to explain, I have Tourette's. I, I, I can't control that. And at 15 years old, his dad died without ever knowing Jesus. And Mark was drifting. He was wandering. He was searching. And at some point, he wandered his way into a church. And uh, he only stayed because there was a band on stage. And there was a lead singer who was a pretty girl. And he wanted to get her attention. And so he, he stayed that night. And he heard the truth about Jesus. He heard that he needed a Savior. And he found the Lord. If my story is vanilla, Mark's is Rocky Road. Years later, both boys grew up and became pastors. And my point is, you know, here in one church, you could have people that are from a very church religious background and some from none whatsoever. And that's what they had in the church in, in Colossae. They had people that had lots of faith growing up and lots of religion and people who had had none. And they come together and the common bond is Jesus Christ, that Jesus loves you and he's calling you. And it's not a lot enough to live for yourself. And it's not enough to attend church, even on a regular basis, even if you learn all all the rules and all the songs and all the stories, you need a personal relationship with Jesus Christ and put him number one in your life and keep him number one in your life. So just after Jesus died and rose from the, uh, the, the dead and then he left the earth, the Apostle Paul went everywhere telling that story and people were responding to Jesus and in, they were invited to join into a group which became a church and to worship Jesus and to, to pray to God and to pray and to encourage one another. Like Pastor Ray was encouraging us last week. Wasn't he a lot of fun? I mean, I think his gift is spiritual encouragement. I just enjoy being around him. And um, 
we, uh, we were blessed with him. But the whole point was you gather into a church to be an encouragement to another and, and to focus on Jesus. And so in this church in Colossae, that's what they had. They just were focusing on the Lord. But then some people showed up at their church who said, you know, well, Jesus is good, but you also need fill in the blank. Jesus isn't enough. You need to keep the old Jewish laws and practices and customs uh, and, and this as well. And the diluting and the polluting of their faith, the contamination began. How do Christians avoid spiritual contamination? That's why Paul wrote this little letter of Colossians. He'd become one of the leading authorities on the law as a young person, but he had a profound experience of Jesus. It changed his life forever, and he realized that to be right with God was all about walking with Jesus. It wasn't about the rules. It wasn't about the regulations. It wasn't about the ritual or the rigmarole. It was all about Jesus. And Paul gave his whole life to Jesus he gave his life to serve Jesus and to invite other people to walk with Jesus. And he was arrested and he was kept in prison because he loved Jesus. And then he hears about this little church full of people who love Jesus and are being contaminated by the world and by the old traditions of the law. And so he wrote the love le this love letter to them. We're going to look at Colossians 2, starting verse 16. Now, I went to this conference, Sticky Church, of how to do church better. And this is just for, for fun, just a little aside. But one of the topics that came up was putting Scripture on the screen so that when I'm reading the Scripture from Colossians 2, you'd be able to see it on the screen. I've always thought, yes, put it on the screen, put the cookies on the bottom shelf, but then people don't bring their Bibles. And so you don't have your own Bible to know your way around. You just read it on the screen. So the experts at the conference thought, no, don't put the Scripture on the screen. Push people to bring their own Bible. Have them look it up in the Bible. Find their way around. Get familiar with the Bible. Know the Scriptures, which are our authority for faith and practice. Let's do a quick vote. When we're having the Scriptures, just because I'd like your input, when we're doing the Scriptures, do you think they should be printed on the screen? Yes or no? Yes. No. Okay, we see which ones are lazy and which ones are really dedicated to Christ, don't we? <laughs> I'm just kidding. I didn't get to let you guys get to vote. Go ahead. Yes? Yes, it should be on the screen? No. Okay. Okay, I can see we're split. And most people like it on the screen. But anyway, we'll see. Sometimes when it's there, enjoy it. And when it's not, have your own Bible. How about that? And uh, we can win. So we've been looking at what Paul said in this little letter under the title, The Undiluted Jesus. And we're in the guts of this letter now. This is the heart of what Paul is wanting to tell these people. Here's the big idea. Reject Christless religion. Reject Christless religion. Religion that doesn't have Jesus as number one, reject it and remain with Christ. Look at Colossians 2, verse 16. Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink. Oh, you know what I did about scriptures on the screen today? I said, whoever's putting the slides together, you decide. So I didn't actually know if it's going to be up there or not. That's kind of fun. Okay, so Colossians 2.16. Let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food or drink or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. These are a shadow of things to come. But the substance belongs to Christ. Paul is in love with Jesus. And he's learned that some teachers are trying to place restrictions on the fully devoted followers of Christ regarding their food or their drink or certain events uh, on the old religious calendar as if keeping the rules could somehow give you more righteousness than just loving Jesus and doing what he tells you to do. It's not more spiritual to get dressed up 
or to restrict your diet to impress God, or to sing songs only in a certain way. But these ideas are still around. I mean, we make impressions about people based on what they wear, or what they eat, or drink, or don't eat or drink, don't we? We expect people to wear their Sunday best, and they look put together. And you've probably heard before, I don't smoke, and I don't chew, and I don't go with girls who do, yeah. And, you know, we form opinions of people based on how, what they have done with their bodies, what uh, tattoos or body piercings or other decorations, like as if somehow we're more spiritual if we're not. And I can guarantee you that Jesus never dressed like this. Now, Jack did. You can see today we're almost twins. But, but Jesus never did. And uh, so it's just not that important. Paul is saying, don't go there. We don't make it about the rules and about all the extras that you add on. We have freedom in Jesus Christ. We have liberty in Christ. We are free from all that. And in other places like Galatians, uh, uh, Paul explains that liberty doesn't mean license. It's not intended to be a way to promote individualism like the world of, well, you just have to accept me the way I am. I think the goal, and it's more challenging in the church today, but the goal with what we wear is to fit in in such a way that people don't walk away going, wow, look what he was wearing. Look what she had on that we're able to just fit in so that the message of Christ can, can flow through us to other people and it won't get hung up uh, on, on what we look like. Just keep Jesus number one and reject a religion that doesn't just keep the focus on Jesus. Jesus is the real deal. He's the substance it all pointed to. He's the part that really matters. Look, he goes on in verse 18. Let no one disqualify you, insisting on asceticism and worship of angels, going on in detail about visions puffed up without reason by his sensuous mind, and not holding fast to the head from whom the whole body, nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments, grows with a growth that's from God. Jesus is the head. The church is the body. He's saying, stay connected to the head, church. Paul's warning here, it starts, let no one disqualify you. It's been translated, let no one cheat you, let no one rob you, or let no one defraud you of salvation's prize. The literal meaning is, let no one act as an empire, umpire against you. Remember, he's talking to fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ. Basically, don't let anybody deny your claim to be Christians. Just follow Jesus. And these false teachers with their false ideas could sound really spiritual and deep, like they have some deeper truth about spirit beings. And Jesus was a good start, but you have to have more. Really? What do you think an angel could do for you that God himself has not already done? I mean, there are plenty of religions alive today, however, that say Jesus is a good start, but you need to add this book. You need to add this truth. You need to listen to this teacher. And they replace Jesus with anything is a counterfeit. It's just a religion. And Jesus offers you a real relationship, a fresh beginning with God. So this thinking that there's some higher spirituality or secret knowledge or some experience that we've had, well, we can get puffed up with that. We can get disconnected from Christ, the head that is our true source of growth from God. How do you Christians avoid spiritual contamination? We reject Christless religion. Jesus is God. He came into this world in flesh, but he is fully God. So we, re we reject 
Christless religion. And then he also says, reclaim or remain with Jesus, that we need to reclaim Christ's full living. He says in verse 20, if with Christ you died, and the word if there could also be translated, it's not as if it's a question, it, it also properly could be translated because you died or since you died. If with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, why, as if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to regulations like do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, referring to things that all perish as they are used according to human precepts and teachings? These have an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body, but they're of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh." Paul is saying, remain with Jesus. This is the last warning that Paul gives in this section. It, it, it's against asceticism. Do you think you can gain favor with God by keeping man-made rules or by abusing your body? Do you think that you could take the body that God has given you as a gift and treat it like an enemy? There were some people you see that said that the flesh was all evil, and so you had to beat your body and, and, and to, uh, to abuse yourself is some way of uh, gaining favor with God. There have been times where this has been more popular in the world than at other times, but do you think you can take the body that God gave you as a gift and treat it like an enemy and think somehow that's going to score points with God? Paul is saying that asceticism is not in keeping with the focus of the life of a fully devoted follower of Jesus. And just follow Jesus. He's saying that asceticism has the appearance of wisdom or seems to promote a demonstration of greater love for God or a greater humility or a greater discipline. But in reality, it's a failure. You don't earn your salvation. It was given to you and to me as a free gift from God. So asceticism appears good on the outside, but has no value for stopping sin. And you don't impress God with your self-abuse. So just remain in Christ. We live as fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ with the Spirit of God alive in us. Don't try to add to it. Just live in it. Remain in it. Walk in the relationship with God that is offered you in Jesus Christ. Remain with Jesus. Look what he says as we begin chapter 3. If then, or since then, since you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on earthly things, for you died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. What does it look like to set your affections on things above? To set your affections on Christ? To think about Christ? To talk about Christ? To have him come up in conversation? To share him with other people? That your mind is thinking about it so that it's something that is just it comes up in conversation? Look at the Apostle Paul who wrote this letter as an example of somebody who has, thinks about Christ and about the things that are above, where Christ is. And he's not focused on his current situation. You know, left to himself, the Apostle Paul could have said, when telling his story, well, I graduated top of my class in Judaism because I'm smarter and I worked harder than all the rest. And I was just beginning a promising career to be a very successful uh, uh, 
rabbi and Pharisee, when I was knocked off my high horse and I was scolded by God, blinded and broken, I asked God's forgiveness and Jesus became my Lord and Savior. And I tried to tell people around me about Jesus, but I only got misunderstood, opposed, belittled, and abused. And when I refused to quit talking about Jesus, they had a plan to arrest me. I became a fugitive and a man on the run. It only got worse. Everywhere I went, I told people about Jesus, and most of them responded negatively. I got beat up more times than I could count. I was whipped almost to the end of my life. I was stoned several times. I was imprisoned and shipwrecked. Forget creature comforts. I never got to get married. I never bought a home. I never got to settle down. I never made enough money to start a retirement account. I never harbored the good life. I was arrested and I spent all my time to the end of my life in prison, waiting, waiting, waiting. Now, telling the story like that, it's all about him. He could have said it like this. I was religious, but I was a man in rebellion against God, even though I didn't clearly have that in focus. Jesus reached out to me in a special way and fully caught my attention. I died to myself and I gave complete control of my heart and my life to Jesus. Jesus was passionate that everybody everywhere hear the good news of salvation that God gave uh, can forgive sin and can live in your life because of the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross. I began to tell that story first to my Jewish friends, but when they rejected the message, God sent me out to the whole world to proclaim Christ and to call people into a relationship with Jesus, to gather people who respond to Jesus into churches, and then to write letters of encouragement to them and to be a witness to the power of God. Jesus has prepared a future, an eternal home for all who love him. We will be with him in heaven where he will be recognized for all eternity as King of Kings and Lord of Lords. I am thinking about that already because this world is just temporary and my trials and setbacks here only make the prospect of heaven with Jesus that much closer and sweeter. I've given my whole life and I only get one. I've given my whole life to being filled with Christ and to think the thoughts of Christ and do the work of Christ and someday to see him face to face. That's all about Jesus. In Paul's life. So Paul says, since you have been raised with Christ, raised from the dead, you were dead in your sins, he raised you to life. Since you've been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on earthly things, because you died to this world, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Love Christ more than anything else. That's what he's saying. So this past week, Pastor Mark Clark, telling the story of how God came into his life in a powerful way. The Spirit of the Lord was on him, and he began telling people about Jesus. He just couldn't help it. People had to know so that they could avoid all the years of struggling and wandering alone that Mark had endured. Well, eventually he was directed by God to start a church in Vancouver, British Columbia, up in Canada, where there are hardly any Christians. And... They started in a home, and he chose as the verse of the church, Revelation 3.17. This is Jesus talking to his church. He chose this as their theme verse. It says this, For you say, I am rich, I have prospered, I need nothing, not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. 
I said, what? He says, yeah, that's our, that's our theme verse at our church. You are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. That's why you need Jesus. He said, our church is only for people who are broken and know they've been broken and they need a Savior. Would you choose a verse like that to be your theme verse for your whole church? Well, someone who's felt wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked would. And then Jesus comes and saves them and gives them light and uh, gives them sight and a covering and riches untold. And Mark began to tell the wonderful things that were happening in their church and how they were seeing people come to Christ and to simply follow Jesus. And then his talk took an unexpected twist or twitch. Well, Tourette's actually, you know. So he, so he, he, but he stepped to the side. He goes, oh, he says, I got to tell you what I would love to have us is right now is a cigarette. And we all kind of sat up. What? He says, oh, I would just love to have a cigarette. He says, I quit smoking. He says, uh, and, uh, but I just love smoking. And to wake up in the morning and have your first smoke of the day and to have a delicious meal and then top it off with a cigarette, oh, that's wonderful. And we're all sitting there going, what? And he says, but I quit. I, I had to quit. I did just before I started the church. He says, you couldn't have the pastor going out and smoking outside along the side of the church, you know. And he says, people who talk to my wife, and say, the pastor's out there smoking. Is he even a Christian? And she says, well, what is he smoking? He says, because it used to be much worse. But anyway, he says, I quit. And people ask me, why did you quit? He says, I quit because I'm in love with a certain woman. And I love her more than I love smoking. And I love her so much. I mean, she's my wife, and she told me, you stink when you smoke. And I don't like it. So, so I love her more than I love smoking. So I gave up smoking to pursue my love for her. Paul said, you've been raised with Christ. Set your mind on things above. Set your heart on things above because you died. And your life is now hidden in Christ. You love Christ more than anything else. Christ is your life. So, you know, how do you apply this to us? Every one of us has a struggle to walk with Jesus and to keep Jesus number one. And to keep it to be Jesus and nothing else. To keep Jesus undiluted. To not let the little bugs and the little bunnies of this world pollute our relationship with the poor, clean Jesus. And to take away from the pureness and the power that he would give us. For you, the struggle may not be smoking. It's not for me. But it is for some people. But if you'd put anything ahead of your relationship with Jesus Christ, then you have knocked him out of first place in your heart. Put and keep Jesus number one. Don't let anything get between you and Jesus. Not rules, not traditions, not styles of worship, not asceticism. How do Christians avoid spiritual contamination? They reject Christless religion and they remain with Jesus. He's pure. He's powerful. He's undiluted. Fully devoted followers of Jesus follow Jesus fully. Jesus is alive in you. Shall we pray? Dear Jesus, I pray that each of us will look at our life and if there's anything that would stand in the way. As Mark struggled with smoking, as some people that Paul knew about struggled with the law or with asceticism or with philosophies of the world around them, Help us just to cling to you and to have you be number one and to put you first and to keep you there as King of kings and Lord of lords. Oh, give us your wisdom and your grace. Thank you that Jesus is still here among us.
knocking on the door, saying, if you've never opened the door, let me in, let me in now. Because we are those people that, left to ourselves, are poor, wretched, blind, pitiful, and naked. And you come and you heal us, and you clothe us, and you cleanse us, and you call us your own. We love you. Thank you for loving us. May we truly live for you as number one. Amen.